The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. It's a joy to be here with you and see your faces. I've heard about you as I've interacted with Jacob over the last year and working with him, partnering with him and Michelle to help you make much of Jesus in Manchester, New Hampshire. Do you believe that Manchester, New Hampshire needs Jesus Christ? And part of the good news of the gospel is not only that Jesus was sent to live and die and be raised from the dead for those whom he's secured um, here in Manchester, but he sent you here to find them. I mean, you are among them. And so it's a joy to be here with you, to see you, um, to get to meet some of you, and looking forward to just hanging out with you for the night as I get to enjoy something that's pretty unique in the body of Christ. And even though I've never seen you, even though I've never maybe met you before, this something's true about us. We're family. You are my brothers and my sisters because of Jesus. Even though right now we are separated by geography, I'm in Philadelphia, you're in Manchester. Um, even though we're separated by, separated by geography right now, we are united in Jesus. And because of Jesus, one day we are gonna experience one of the most mind-blowing family reunions as Jesus returns and makes all things new and gathers his people from the four corners of the globe and reunites us together to enjoy him and his people in his kingdom forever. Is that not the best news ever? The best is yet to come and we get to enjoy the best together. And so thank, thankfully, because of the Lord Jesus, um, even though we're separated by geography, one day we will be united forever in the presence of God. And so I also do bring you greetings um, from Covenant Community Church in West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playgrounds where I spent most of my days, if you're familiar with Fresh Prince. So we are in West Philadelphia. I get to lead the church um, in University City, which is a part of West Philadelphia, right in the backyard of University of Pennsylvania, Drexel University. Um, it's a, it's a, I'm born and raised in Philly, and it's a joy and delight to be serving Jesus, advancing the gospel, planning churches in my own city. And then also, I just also bring you greetings from Sovereign Grace Churches. As Jacob mentioned, I have the privilege of serving as the director of church planning and mission. And so it's one of my, one of my delights in our network of churches is to help prepare, train, assess, and equip our church planners to go with the gospel. And so I'm grateful for you being here and for God sending you here to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you take your Bible now and go to Matthew chapter 9. In just a moment, I'm going to read from Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Um, as I was hanging out with Jacob and his family today, I had the, the awesome privilege of playing astronauts with Owen and Isaac. And they were really, it just reminded me of being at home because my boys, uh, my oldest Payson, my youngest Silas, I have a Silas as well, um, they, they love to do the same thing, they dress up, act out, and kind of let me join in on it. But one of the things that my boys really, really like to do is they act, to act like superheroes. And this is partially my fault. Because ever since my boys were young, they were always outfitted with a, with a pair of Superman pajamas that were their size. And so there was one particular iteration of the Superman pajamas that my boys took turns wearing that was like my personal favorite. It was the Superman pajamas with the glow-in-the-dark Superman emblem. You know you like that, right? And the detachable Velcro cape. And so I remember one night, um, Silas, uh, one morning, Silas woke up in his Superman pajamas. He was like three years old. And my wife, Rachel, never wanted Silas to actually sleep with his cape on. So she would, one of the first things that Silas would ask for in the morning was his cape. And so one morning, Silas came downstairs and he's like, oh, grog. And he's like, mom, where's my cape? 
and I'm sitting across the room in my chair, drinking my coffee, reading my Bible. And so I was like, where's my cape? And so no sooner does Rachel put the cape on his shoulders, a transformation takes place. He goes from groggy Silas to super Silas. And he did something this particular morning that he had never done before. He got into this charge position, ran across the living room, jumped up on the hearth of the fireplace, pulled back his fist, and punched the brick wall. (laughs) You know what he found out in a second? He really wasn't the little man of steel. (laughs) Say, why in the world would Silas punch the brick wall? You say, because I'm kind of picking up on things. It's probably because he's your son. (laughs) Now, there's a reason why he punched the brick wall. He thought he was Superman. Isn't it true that we do what we do because we believe we are who we are? Identity drives activity. We do what we do because we are who we are. There are many amazing things that can be said about us as followers of Jesus, our gospel identity. Isn't it great to know that in Jesus, we are forgiven? That every single one of our sins has been separated as far as the east is from the west. When Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins, he paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Isn't it good to know that in Christ we are forgiven? Isn't it great to know that in Christ we are reconciled, that we were once far away from God, had no right to be near to the presence of God because of our sin, but now in Christ, we who are far from God have been brought near to God, and you can be as close to God as you want to be. You are reconciled. Isn't that amazing? In Christ, you are redeemed. You once were a slave to sin, but now you've been freed from your sin so you can live for the glory of God. So many things can be said about us in Christ. We are forgiven. We are reconciled. We are redeemed. But there's, there's an aspect of our identity in Christ that's often forgotten and left off the list. In Christ, we are sent. Every follower of Jesus is a sent one. Every follower of Jesus is sent to be a disciple-making disciple. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That commission is not just for a few. That commission is for the entire church. Every follower of Jesus is a disciple-making disciple. If you have repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in the accomplishments of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, guess what? You are a sent one. You're just as sent as you are forgiven. You're just as sent as you are reconciled. You're just as sent as you are redeemed. You're just as sent as you are justified. And so the big question is, how do we live out our identity as sent ones? How do we live our lives as disciple-making disciples? What does it look like to live our lives in a rhythm of being sent disciple-making disciples? Well, the good news is Jesus shows us how. Jesus shows us how to be a disciple-making disciple. Because although Jesus is more than an example, he's not less than an example. And in the text we're going to look at tonight, Jesus shows us what it looks like to be a disciple-making disciple. And so let me drive your attention now to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And let's let Jesus teach us how to live out our identity as sent ones. Let's hear the word of God. 
And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's God's word. Let's thank him for it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who speaks. You are a God who addresses us. We do not have to guess what you're thinking because you've given us your mind in your word. And so we pray tonight that as we submit ourselves to the reading and teaching and application of your word, that you'd send the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit not only to help us understand what you have revealed to us, but would you also send the Holy Spirit to help us believe what you've revealed to us? And we further ask that you'd send the Holy Spirit to empower us to live our lives in submission to what you have revealed to us. And so help us tonight, help us tonight to not only embrace our identity as sent ones, as disciple-making disciples, would you also help us to learn from the master disciple-maker, Jesus himself, that we might live our lives in his disciple-making rhythm as he teaches us here in this text. We pray this together in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 9, 35 to 38 is a transition text in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapters 4 through 9 have emphasized what Jesus has been doing as one sent on mission by the Father. Now beginning in chapter 9, verse 35, we find Jesus preparing his disciples to go and live out their lives as sent ones as well. And so what, to use the words of John's Gospel, what's happening here in this particular transition text in Matthew is that Jesus is basically saying to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And Jesus does not leave them without an example to know what it looks like to live as a sent one. As I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus is more than an example, but he's not less than an example. So much so that the apostle Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21, Christ has left us an example so that we might follow in his steps. Jesus, obviously there, there are aspects of the mission of Jesus that aren't meant to be repeated because only he could accomplish them. Only Jesus could live the perfect life that we could not live to secure for us a righteousness that would cause us to be able to stand faultless before God. Only Jesus could die a substitutionary death on the cross and taking our sins upon himself, enduring the wrath of God as a substitute. Only Jesus could be raised from the dead to secure eternal life for all who would turn from their sins and trust in him. But, but beyond the unique aspects of Christ's accomplishment through his perfect life, his substitutionary atonement, and his glorious resurrection, the life of Christ is to be imitated. <coughs> Jesus wants us, do you know this? Jesus wants you to be like him. Jesus wants his disciples to do what he does. Jesus wants you to be like him him. He wants us to love like he loves. He wants us to serve like he serves. So as you ask yourself, what does Manchester need from King's Cross Church? What does, what does Manchester need from you? Manchester needs you to be like Jesus. Your city needs you to love like Jesus loves 
and your city needs you to serve like Jesus serves. But, so how do you do that? What does that look like? So here in this text, Jesus is giving us a pattern to follow. Here's what it looks like to live our lives as those who are sent on mission with the gospel. And so if we're gonna, if we're gonna live our lives as sent ones, as we're gonna live our lives as disciple-making disciples, I wanna suggest from this text that we need to be shaped by three elements of Christ's example. I'll give, them all, I'll give all three of them to you up front because if history says anything to me, most likely I won't get to all of them. In verse 35, let us consider how we need to be shaped by Jesus' missional rhythm. In verse 36, let's consider how we need to be shaped by Jesus' missional motivation. And in verses 37 and 38, let's consider how we need to be shaped by Jesus' missional optimism. First, let's consider Jesus' missional rhythm. Look at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. If we're gonna join Jesus in, in being disciple-making disciples, then we need to be shaped by what Jesus did to make disciples. And verse 35 tells us what he did as he went through every city and every village. There were three primary activities that Jesus would do no matter where he was. Verse 35 says he would teach in the synagogues, proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, and heal every disease and every affliction. This was his missional rhythm. This is what Jesus would do everywhere he went. Whatever city he found himself in, whatever village he walked through, you would find Jesus teaching, proclaiming, and healing. He taught the Bible. He proclaimed how to get into the kingdom of God and he healed all kinds of brokenness. The grammatical tense of the word went points to a continuous practice, which means that Jesus kept on doing these things. He, he lived his life in this rhythm of, of going through every city and going through every village, teaching, proclaiming, healing, teaching, proclaiming, healing. I call this his missional rhythm. This is the rhythm of his life, teaching, proclaiming, healing. In other words, teaching, proclaiming, and healing were a part of Jesus' regular schedule. Wherever Jesus is, whatever else Jesus is doing, he's also faithfully teaching, proclaiming, and healing. This was his rhythm. I mentioned a few moments ago that Matthew 9 is a transition text that begins in Matthew 4. And in Matthew 4, Jesus begins his public ministry. He's baptized in chapter 3. He goes into the wilderness for a time of testing in chapter 4. And then he comes out of the wilderness beginning his ministry. And if you look back in your Bible at chapter 4, verse 23, notice the way Matthew describes the beginning of Christ's public ministry. Chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, see if this sounds familiar, teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. It's almost an exact, it's an, it's an exact mirroring of what we just read in chapter 9, verse 35. So in these bookends describing the public ministry of Jesus, Matthew wants us to know that he had this rhythm. He had this ongoing experience of going throughout all the cities, all the villages, teaching, proclaiming, 
and healing. Have you ever been, have you ever wondered what your, the soundtrack to your life would be? Just kind of walking around. Any of you guys who are really musical people, you kind of always have music going on in your head. Anybody else? Or am I the only one in the room? Okay. That was kind of a song going through your head. Well, Jesus had this, I, I can't tell you what the, what the music was, but if there were lyrics to the song of Jesus' soundtrack, it would be the teaching, proclaiming, healing. Mine would be the Bee Gees, Staying Alive, but that's another story. Teaching, proclaiming, healing. This was the rhythm. It was a cadence to Christ's life. Teaching, proclaiming, healing. This was what he did for three and a half years. For three and a half years, every city, every village, teaching, proclaiming, healing. This was his lifestyle. So if we're going to join Jesus and live our identity as disciple-making disciples, if we're going to embrace our identity as sent ones, it begins with realizing that mission is not something we add to our schedule. Mission is something that's a part of our lifestyle. If we're going to join Jesus on mission, then we need to understand that we are being called by Jesus to form a lifestyle around the mission, to enter into this rhythm with Jesus of teaching, proclaiming, and healing. If you're gonna embrace your identity as a disciple-making disciple, it's gonna require that you understand that part of the way Jesus wants you to live on the block, in the neighborhood, at work, in school, at the church, wherever you are, whatever else you may be doing, you're also there to live your life in this missional rhythm of teaching, proclaiming, and healing. So, Let's take a few moments to kind of, kind of tease out these categories a little bit. What does it mean when Jesus was teaching in the synagogues? What was Jesus doing when he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom? How's that different than teaching? And what does it look like to be involved in healing all kinds of brokenness? So let's kind of tease these out a little bit. First, teaching. Jesus would teach in the synagogues. The synagogue is where the faithful Jew gathered to read and apply the scriptures. Um, this is wh- why would Jesus go into the synagogue? You may remember in Early on in Jesus' ministry, he would walk into the synagogue, he would open up the scroll, he would read it, and then he would explain. One of my favorite uh, little montages from Christ's public ministry was in Luke chapter 4, when he goes into the synagogue, opens the scroll, reads from Isaiah, and says, today this prophecy has been fulfilled. Is that not a drop the mic moment? I want to see that. So Jesus would go into the synagogue, and this is what he would do. He'd open the scroll, he'd read the scripture, and he'd explain how those scriptures found their fulfillment in him. And so Jesus would go into the religious places where he'd find the religious people, and he was, he was committed to helping religious people understand the true meaning of the scriptures. He wanted people to know that the scriptures were ultimately about him. The Bible had rules, but it wasn't about keeping the rules. It was about needing a savior to be right with God. Jesus' missional rhythm involved finding the people in the cities, finding people in the villages who cared about the scriptures and helping them see that it isn't about what you need to do to get God to accept you, but it's about what Jesus was sent to do in order to make them acceptable to God. Got any religious people in Manchester? Got any people who care about the Bible, even if they don't understand what it means? Maybe you were there one time. I was raised Roman Catholic in Philadelphia. I had an appreciation and, a, and, a, and a kind of a, an, 
a sense of veneration for the scriptures, even though I didn't even understand what they meant. Even though I'd never heard the scriptures explained before, even though I'd never heard a sermon before. I've been told that the Bible is an important book. Do you think there are people in Manchester who believe the Bible is an important book, even though they don't know that it's all about Jesus? And so living in this missional rhythm means that we interact with people every single day who have an appreciation for the Bible, who, have a, who have, a, have a veneration for the scriptures, but they don't understand what it means. And guess what? They need to know that the Bible is ultimately not about what we need to do to get God to accept us, but what God has done in sending Christ to make us acceptable to God. And so there are lots of people who have lots of misunderstandings about the scriptures in Manchester, but here's the good news. You've been sent here. You say, I'm not a Bible scholar. How many times in your own workplace, right, you have, you have people at work who even though you're not, you're not a Bible scholar, even though you don't have a theology degree because you're the Christian and you're at work, you're automatically the authority on the Bible. Hey, I know you go to church. The Bible says an eye for an eye. What does that mean? So living our lives in this rhythm of teaching means that we've been sent to be, to, to, with the opportunity as God provides the moments to actually help people understand that the Bible is ultimately all about Jesus. It was about three years ago, uh, Chris walked into one of our Sunday gatherings in Philadelphia. Um, interestingly, he, people find, I'm not sure how you got invited to the church for the first time, but people get invited to the church in some unique ways. Chris got invited to one of our church to one of our Sunday gatherings from his brother who'd never come to our church. His brother was in recovery and he, was, he, he would drive by our church on the bus to go to one of his um, Narcotics Anonymous meetings on every Sunday morning. And so he was riding by the bus and he would always see the church and always wondering what was going on inside. And so his brother Chris was going through a really hard time. He goes, you know what you need to do? There's this church that I drive by every Sunday morning. You need to go to that church. And he came. And I got involved in the conversation with Chris. And Chris, like me, grew up Roman Catholic. He had an appreciation for the Bible. He just knew there was, there was, he was going through a really dark time, a very difficult time. And he had lots of questions. And wouldn't you know that a lot of those questions were about, what does the Bible mean? What is God saying? So I started having conversation with Chris. I said, you know, Chris, what do you, what do you think about getting together every once in a while? And we can just kind of open up the Bible and, and read it together and try to figure out what God's saying to us through. He said, sure. So we started meeting on Wednesday mornings, reading through the Gospel of Mark. After about six months of just reading it and talking about it, Chris submitted his heart to Jesus Christ. And it wasn't too long ago that I baptized him. And now he's actually one of my really good friends. There are people in Manchester like Chris who they have an appreciation for the Bible. They're religious, but they're not right with God because they've not put their hope and trust in the, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus by grace alone, through faith alone. But the good news is you're here. And you might not think, I don't, I don't know everything about the Bible, but you know the gospel. And you can help people understand the central message of scripture. That's what it means to live in this rhythm of teaching helping people understand the meaning of the gospel, proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. See, Jesus wanted the people of the city who were not gathering in religious places, who wouldn't darken the doors of the synagogue, to know that even though they weren't in the synagogue, they could get into the kingdom of God. Chapter 4, verse 23, the beginning of Christ's public ministry, makes it a lot clearer that the teaching happened in the synagogue, but the proclaiming and the healing happened out in the streets. Jesus would go out into the streets and he would announce to the irreligious crowd, 
to the people who, who would never darken the door of a quote-unquote church building. You might not be on the inside of this building, but I want to tell you that I'm here to bring you into the kingdom of God. Jesus wanted people to know that there was a way into the kingdom of God, and it's not by what you do to make yourself right with God. It's what I've come to do to make you right with God. And so Jesus would go out and find the people who wouldn't come in and let them know that there was a way to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus wanted people to know the good news that the king of heaven had left heaven and come to earth to do what was necessary to help those who, would not, who could not get in to get in. And so Jesus would go and find people. If they wouldn't come into the church, he'd go out and find them. Do you think there are people in Manchester who, in, who, who at this very moment have no plans to ever darken the door of a church in Manchester? They need to know the good news. That even though they're right now, they're making no plans to come to King's Cross Church or any church for that matter. They need to know the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but everlasting life. How are they going to hear? That's why you're here. That's why you work where you work. And you live where you live. And you do life where you do life. Not by accident. You say, I live in Manchester because this is just where I grew up. It might be where you grew up, but you're not here by accident. Jesus has sent you here. You say, I'm in Manchester because I got a job and, and my job brought me here. Yeah, yeah, your job may have brought you here, but ultimately Jesus sent you here. You live where you live. You work where you work. You do life where you do life, not by accident, because Jesus sent you here. And part of the reason he sent you here is because there are people who need to hear the good news that God will have them, that God will forgive them and bring them apart into his loving family through the accomplishments of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus' missional rhythm involved helping religious people understand the true meaning of scripture and helping irreligious people know that they can get into the kingdom of God. And then finally, his missional rhythm involved healing, healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus would show every city and every village that he alone was the cure for the pervasive brokenness that exists in this fallen world. There wasn't a kind of brokenness that Jesus wasn't the answer for. In chapter eight, Jesus cleanses a leper, heals a Roman centurion servant, and he cures Peter's mother-in-law's fever. He casts out a bunch of demons and he heals a bunch of sick people. In chapter nine, he raises a little girl from the dead, cures a woman who had been sick for 12 years, gives sight to two blind men, and gives a mute man his voice back. Over and over again, Jesus is demonstrating through his healing ministry that there's not a kind of brokenness that he's not able to cure. Do you think there are broken people in Manchester that need to know that there's not a kind of brokenness that Jesus Christ can't heal? Part of the reason why you're here is to help people know that there is healing and there is deliverance in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the healer. And Jesus' healing ministry was threefold in its purpose. First, it authenticated who he was as the messianic king. Second, it demonstrated the compassionate heart of the king to bring relief and restoration to the broken. And third, it gave a foretaste of the kingdom that was to come in the present. These, these miracles were foretastes of the future in the present. That there's death in the world now. 
But one day when Jesus makes all things new, death will be gone. There's disease in this world now. But one day when Jesus returns and makes all things new, disease will be gone. There's demonic activity in the world today. But one day when Jesus Christ comes and makes all things new, all evil will be purged from the face of the earth. So Jesus, through his miracles of healing, through his miracles, he is showing that one day everything will be new again. Everything wrong will be made right. Everything sad will be untrue. And so as we live our lives in the missional rhythm of Jesus, as it pertains to healing, we have the opportunity as individually and collectively to show our city. You have an opportunity to show Manchester that Jesus is the cure for the pervasive brokenness that exists in this world. By leaning out into your community of mercy, by healing hurts, by serving the afflicted, by helping the poor, by leaning into the needs of your city, you are demonstrating that in Jesus, there's coming a day when there'll be no more hunger. In Jesus, there's coming a day when there'll be no more hurts. In Jesus, there's coming a day where there'll be no more addictions. In Jesus, there's coming a day when everything wrong will be made right. You're here to announce through your service that that day is coming. It's a foretaste of the future in the present. I don't know, here in Manchester, do you have like Sam's Club or Costco or BJ's, right? You have anything like that? Yeah, all three of them? You have all of them, right? My kids love to go to Sam's Club. Why? Because free samples. Free samples. You love free samples. And so you, you go into Sam's Club and they got these little, these little tables set up with little miniature bite, size, bite sizes of something that they're trying to sell you. And the idea behind the free sample, the, the idea behind the little toothpick forest, right, is to, to, to get just enough to make you long for the whole thing. Very similarly, this is how the church functions in the ministry of healing. This is how the church functions in alleviating all kinds of brokenness that exists all around us is that we have an opportunity to give a foretaste of the future in the present. As we, as we, bring, little, as we bring minimal amounts of relief, as we bring mercy, as we help the hurting, what we have the opportunity to do is to join Jesus in giving foretaste that one day all these horrific things, all these broken things, all these heartbreaking things will be gone. And so we serve in mercy, we serve in love as a foretaste of the future in the present. So if we're going to join Jesus in mission, if we're going to be, if we're going to live our lives as disciple-making disciples, it looks like joining Jesus in this rhythm of teaching, proclaiming, healing. Teaching, proclaiming, healing. Can you say that with me? Teaching, proclaiming, healing. That needs to be the rhythm of your life. We've been sent by Jesus. You've been sent by Jesus into Manchester to help people understand that the scriptures ultimately are all about Jesus and his free grace. That, the, that, that there's a way to get into the kingdom of God even though we don't deserve it and even though we might as we assess our own sin, as we assess our own brokenness, we really would feel as if we have no right to be into the kingdom of God but the good news is Jesus has come to bring in the broken and we live our lives in this rhythm of healing calling upon the resources of heaven and using our own resources to lean into all kinds of brokenness in our city and to be a means of giving a foretaste of the future in the present. If we're going to join Jesus on mission as disciple-making disciples, it looks like getting in on this rhythm. There's lots of things you can do. 
There's lots of things you should do. There's lots of things you might be able to do as a whole church, but if you, would, if you wanted to just narrow down in simple terms what you're here to do in Manchester, as a church collectively and as individual disciples, you are here to live out this rhythm in Manchester. Teaching, proclaiming, healing. All in the mighty, loving, matchless name of Jesus. So that's Jesus' missional rhythm. But there's something else here we need to understand. How, how, what, what would motivate our hearts to want to live our lives in this rhythm? Notice what motivated Jesus in verse 36. And this is the second point, Jesus' missional motivation. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus wasn't this missionary robot just kind of going through these motions of teaching, proclaiming, and healing. Jesus lived his life in this rhythm because he was carrying a heavy burden on his heart for the people of each and every city. What he saw in the synagogues, what he saw in the city streets affected him so deeply that it moved him to do something about it. What he saw in the city, what he saw in the synagogues, what he saw all around him was so, laid so heavy on his heart that it moved him to do something about it. So what did he see? It says he saw crowds of harassed people. The word harassed is a very graphic word in the original language. It can refer to a number of things. It can refer to a body that has been mangled and left for dead. It can refer to someone utterly exhausted from a journey that seems to have no end. It can refer to someone who's been violently mugged. So what this means is as Jesus looked out into the cities, as Jesus looked out into the crowds in the villages, he sees city like, cities like yours, filled with deeply hurting people who are struggling in life, harassed. He, he saw people who were confused and out of gas. He saw people who were vulnerable and victimized. He saw some who were just one step away from death. And Jesus saw, so Jesus saw people in the complexity of their needs. And as you, as you watch the, the, the life and, and ministry of Jesus unfold in the Gospels, Jesus didn't get into the business of trying to separate people's material and immaterial needs. He didn't say, well, that's a spiritual need and that's a non-spiritual need. I'm only, I'm only here to help with the spiritual needs. No, Jesus saw people in the complexity of their needs. And he would do something about it. He sees people holistically in need, physically, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, psychologically. And so Jesus was, was, would see people who were just absolutely overwhelmed by the brokenness of life. They were harassed. What else did he see? He saw that these harassed people were also helpless. This means that Jesus saw these harassed people as having no ability to get themselves out of their mess. What they need, they can't do for themselves. They are helpless in need of someone to help. They're confused people who need direction, victimized people who need an advocate, and there are dying people who need to be re rescued, and they cannot help themselves. And that leads to the final observation is what does Jesus see? He saw harassed people, he saw helpless people, and then finally the clinching statement is they were sheep without a shepherd. This means that ultimately Jesus saw these crowds of harassed and helpless people in need of him. He was the good shepherd. He could do for them 
what they could not do for themselves. They were helpless, but he was here to help. Jesus was sent to be the good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. He can lead them to green pastures. He can take them to still waters. He can restore their soul. He can walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death. He can help them not fear evil. He can be a presence with them in the presence of their enemies. He can safely lead them to the house of the Lord where they will dwell forever. Jesus sees the helpless and harassed people ultimately in need of a shepherd, and he is that shepherd. You see, Jesus saw these crowds of people, and he knew the reason why they were helpless and harassed. All they, like sheep, had gone astray. But he was here to rescue, to lay down his life for the sheep. He would climb upon the cross and be the shepherd who'd be wounded for their transgressions and crushed for their iniquities. And he would pay the price to bring them peace and relief and salvation. So if we're gonna join Jesus in being disciple-making disciples, we, and we're gonna live our, if we're gonna live our lives in this rhythm of teaching, proclaiming, and healing, here's what will motivate it. Seeing the people all around us as harassed and helpless in need of Jesus. And when we see the people around us as harassed and helpless in need of Jesus, like Jesus, it will move us to do something about it. Notice what seeing led to. He had compassion for them. The word compassion describes one of the most powerful emotional experiences in the Bible. It means to be so moved emotionally that you feel it physically. It's a word that literally means to be hit in the guts. It's that feeling you get in your gut when you're so affected emotionally that you sense it or feel it physically. So Jesus is saying that when he looks at all the harassed and helpless people in need of him, it moves him to do something about it. To teach, to proclaim, to heal. Seeing led to feeling and feeling led to doing. So if we're gonna join Jesus in being disciple-making disciples, then we need to be shaped, not only by Jesus' missional rhythm, but we also need to be moved by Jesus' missional motivation. That means that we need to see our cities the way Jesus sees them. You need to see Manchester the way Jesus sees it. He sees lots and lots of people harassed and helpless in need of him. And as you see the people of Manchester harassed and helpless in need of him, as you, as you look your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends and your family members in the eyes and you see them in their need, it will move you to do something about it. Do what? Teach, proclaim, heal. Teach, proclaim, and heal. Seeing leads to feeling and feeling leads to doing something about it. Finally, we need to be shaped not only by Jesus' missional rhythm, Jesus' missional motivation, but also Jesus' missional optimism. Look at verses 37 38 in closing. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
the harvest, Jesus says, is plentiful. Jesus sees in those crowds of harassed and helpless people in need of him a harvest of people who are ripe for entering the kingdom of God. I grew up in the concrete pastures of Philadelphia, all right? I don't know a lot about farming. I don't know a lot about agriculture. In fact, it wasn't until like seven years ago that my wife, who grew up in rural Connecticut, took me to my first honest-to-goodness county fair. And at the county fair, a number of amazing things are happening all at the same time. I watched people listen to country music, eating smoked turkey legs, watching cows give birth to baby calves all at the same time. At the country fair, there are people who are more jacked up about John Deere equipment than they are about the New England Patriots, all right? I mean, this is crazy stuff, right? Um, I don't need to know a lot about agricultural, agri- agriculture to know what harvest means. Harvest means it's time to go and get the good stuff. It's time to go and get the good stuff. Seeds have been planted. There's been a time of waiting. And now it's time to go and get it. And Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. It's time to go and get the harvest. It's time to go and reap. The word plentiful in the original language is a really colorful word. It means a whole lot. (laughs) And so Jesus says there are a whole lot of people out there among the helpless and harassed who are ripe for entering into the kingdom of God. There are a whole lot of people who are ready to hear teaching and to understand that the scriptures are all about me. There's a whole lot of people out there who are ready to to hear the good news that I am here to get them into the kingdom of God. There are a whole lot of people here to know that I am here to be the the pervasive cure to their brokenness. There are a whole lot of people who are ready to turn from their sins and enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. Do you believe that about Manchester? That as you look out on your city, yes, it's filled with lots of harassed and helpless people in need of Jesus, but do you see among the helpless, do you see among the harassed, do you see among those who are in need of Jesus a great harvest that will be reaped for the glory of God? Here's what Jesus does. He takes the harassed and helpless. He takes the people you would least expect. He rescues them, he renews them, and then he uses them for his glory. Isn't that you? Isn't that me? Do you remember when you were a part of the crowd of the helpless and harassed? And God in his mercy set his gracious gaze upon you and sent someone to help you understand that the scriptures, the scriptures reveal the good news that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you remember what it was like when you were invited to turn from your sin and put your hope and trust in Jesus to know the forgiveness of all your sins? to know the covering of all your shame, to know the deliverance from all your guilt, and to be accepted as his blessed and beloved son or daughter forever. Do you remember what it was like to know that God would have you a part of his kingdom, a part of his forever family? See, Jesus takes those you would least expect and he brings them into his kingdom. The harvest is plentiful. And this is why we pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, Jesus sees that the amount of people who need to be brought in is disproportionate to the amount of people who are out there laboring to bring them in. So he says pray. Pray for laborers to be sent 
into the harvest field. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth disciple-making disciples to teach, to proclaim, to heal in the name of Jesus. And as you pray, as you pray for God to send forth laborers into your city, do not be surprised if God calls upon you to be the answer to your own prayer. Notice Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And then just, just after this text, down in, down in Matthew 10, verse 5, Jesus, it says that these 12 Jesus sent out. So the very disciples that Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers. It's those disciples that he told to pray for laborers. He then sends them out as laborers. He uses them to be an answer to their own prayers. And so would you pray to the Lord of the harvest with a heart that's brimming with faith and optimism that there are so many people in your city who are ripe for entering the kingdom of God. That's gonna take every single follower of Jesus in this room to go and live in this rhythm of teaching, proclaiming, and healing. And see the city transformed by the power of the gospel. We do what we do because we believe we are who we are. Every follower of Jesus is a disciple making disciple. You live where you live, you work where you work, not by accident because Jesus has sent you there to be a disciple-making disciple. How do you do that? What does it look like? It looks like being shaped by the example of Jesus, to be shaped by his missional rhythm, to get in in this lifestyle of teaching and proclaiming and healing, to be motivated by compassion for the helpless and harassed people all around you, all the while having faith, the faith operating in your heart that there are just so many people the harvest is plentiful. That as you go and teach, as you go and proclaim, as you go and heal in his name, that there are not just a few, there are a lot, a lot of people that God is gonna bring into his glorious kingdom through your labors. Amen? Amen. Lord, help us believe and help us in our unbelief. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity take some time to look at the beautiful example of your son Jesus, your son, our savior. We thank you that your son Jesus lived the life we could not live. Thank you that he died the death we deserve to die and thank you that he was raised from the dead so that all who turn from their sin and trust in him are forgiven, delivered, accepted as your sons and daughters forever. We thank you for the privilege of representing your son as disciple making disciples. And we thank you for sending, I thank you in particular for sending these precious followers of Jesus into the cracks and crevices of Manchester, New Hampshire. I thank you for calling them first out of their sins into the free salvation that's offered through Jesus. And I thank you for now sending them to represent him. And would you help them now by your grace to live their lives in this rhythm of teaching, proclaiming, and healing whether they've been following you for five days or 50 years, I pray that they would embrace this as their responsibility because it's their identity. I pray, God, you fill them with your spirit and help them not be afraid. I pray you fill them with your spirit and help them to be motivated by compassion. Fill them with your spirit and help them to have the faith to believe that there are many, not a few, many, because the harvest is plentiful. And I do pray on behalf of King's Cross Church that you'd send out more laborers, 
Would you bring even more mature followers of Jesus to this congregation to help them join in the efforts of making much of Jesus here in the city? Oh God, I pray for this and I expect this. This is your church. You're for her, not against her. And you will build her to the day you return and make all things new. God Almighty, I pray for your empowering presence to be real and palpable among my brothers and sisters here tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.